Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace, the United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story Reading. We are continuing our summer series called The Music That Made Us, and today is a day that some have been looking forward to because we're going to listen to Cats in the Cradle by Harry Chapin. Um, And so one of the interesting things, I I didn't do a ton of research on this song because this song is pretty straightforward. It's not like it's got some crazy mystery to it. But what I found interesting is that one of the videos that I watched, and I, I forwarded this in the Tuesday News when I was highlighting what we were going to be doing for this Sunday, he does a short little, my wife and I, she kind of helped me write this and all good artists steal from other artists. And so I stole some of the lines from my wife. And then he, he says, this song is dedicated to my son, Josh, and it terrifies me. And that's all he said. And then he just played the song. And I, I thought that was a really interesting way to introduce a song that for many of us is a haunting song. And so with that in mind, here's Cats in the Cradle. Jesus often spoke in parables. He told stories that had a context for the modern life at the time, the first century world that he lived in. And what he would often do is take these ideas that people had, and then he would flip them on their head and make people see it differently in order to jar them into a new way of being in the world. I think that this song is like a modern day parable for us. It takes that kind of American dream idea of achieving and progressing and being busy and that being the mark of of either manhood or the mark of the American dream or the mark of success in our world. And it shows the fallacy of it because at the end of the day, the dad's left without a real relationship, is left without meaning and without connection. And so I really appreciate this song, as depressing as it is, and as tragic as it is, it is telling us something. It's reminding us of something that we may be lacking in our life. And the the thing about it that really moves me is that the chorus of the song isn't depressing. Every verse kind of gets more and more depressing, but the chorus is not, that there's something that is stirring in him, that the cats are in the cradle and the silver spoon and the little boy blue and the man on the moon, that there's something hopeful in that. There's something childlike. There's a little wonder 
that is still there and it's still trying to creep in and it's just not able to. Because in this story and in this song, everyone's living for a then. It's always then. It'll come. One day, it'll be here. And there's a focus on the then and not the now. And I think that's one of the big takeaways from today that I hope you have at the end of this this sermon and the end of today's time together is what does it mean to not live for the then, but to live for the now? We're called to now. We're called to be present now. We're called to one another now. Called to the kingdom now. We're called to justice now. We're called to inclusion now, not then. And yes, we might not see it all. We might not have the dynamic relationship that we want. We might not have the justice that we long for. We might not have the inclusion that we should. And yet now is the time to work towards those things. So what does it mean to be a person of the now and not just the then? You know, I was trying to think of like, what is the right Bible message? There's a lot of different messages that could come out of a song like this. There's lots of different ideas about where we could go. And this idea of what we pass on to the next generation is what really struck me when I was listening to Cats in the Cradle. I couldn't help but think of that that last line, that line during the end, like that last verse where it's, he became just like me. And, And that felt more haunting than the rest of it. Because as a dad of young boys, I can resonate with the idea of being busy or saying, yeah, I'll get to that later. That will happen then. Like I can resonate with that and I can feel guilty about it. I can like use it as a warning not to do that in the moment when my son says, dad, can you come play basketball with me? And I'm like, I have been playing with you all day long. No, I don't want to play any more basketball. Yes, I will come play basketball with you. Yes, I'll go on a bike ride. Yes, I'll tuck you in. Dad, will you come lay with me because I'm scared of the dark? <sighs> You're not scared of the dark. You just want to be around a human being. Okay, fine. I'll come lay with you. Like, yes, this song does all of those things to me. It makes me want to be present and to show up. But the part that scares me is the very last line, is the idea of my child ending up like me. And then asking the question, if that happens, is that someone who's good news for the world? That's the haunting part of this song. That's the part that scares me the most, is what's going to happen next? And I think that's what Moses and God are getting at in in Exodus chapter 34. Because the people have left slavery... They've gone out into the wilderness. They've gone to Mount Sinai. They've received the Ten Commandments, these ten ideas about what it means to have a relationship with God and to have healthy relationship with one another. That's what the Ten Commandments are all about. We, we always see them as these lists of do's and don'ts, like you should do this, you should do this, you should not do that, you should not do that. But if you really look at all of them, they're all about the way in which you're supposed to have healthy relationship. Because when they're in Egypt, when they're slaves, they're not given any freedom and any idea of what it means to be human. They're just told, you are subhuman and you have to do this and you have to do it this way. There's no choice about the way in which you do things. There's no choice about the way that you're in relationship. But now that they're free, now that they're in the wilderness, they're being reformed and refashioned into what it means to be a human being in full relationship with God and with one another. 
and they're not great at it all the time. They start to make unhealthy choices. They start to do things they shouldn't. They build a golden calf to worship. And actually, like Moses takes the Ten Commandments and throws it at the golden calf and blows up the golden calf and blows up the original Ten Commandments in the process and has to go back up to the mountain to get two new ones and to come back down to the people. And so the story that we have here is coming after Moses has gone up the mountain again and gotten new Ten Commandments to help the people understand how they are to be in relationship to one another. But in the midst of doing this, there's a, there's a warning about who you are and how it will affect the generations to come. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the former ones. He rose early in the morning and went up to on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him, stood with him there and proclaimed the name, the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed this. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Is this reminiscent at all of the Harry Chapin song, right? The father is making choices, being in relationship in a certain way with the child, and the child becomes just like him. And here Moses and the Lord are warning the people that your iniquity is going to be passed on to the third and fourth generation. How many of us, and don't raise your hand, um, just in case there is someone secretly videoing us, how many of us could say that some of the tension that we experience, some of the way that we have maybe not done the healthiest thing, is not because we made a conscious decision or thought this is the best idea, but because it's the way that was handed down to us. It was the modeling that we had. The way that we saw it done is now the way we find ourselves doing it. And sometimes it's like, oh, wow, I can't believe I said or did that. And yet it's been ingrained in you since you were two. And it just comes out even when you least expect it. Sometimes most often when you least expect it. And these things, they get passed down from generation to generation. There are three things that I want to point out from this passage that I think are meaningful for how we orient our lives as we think about what we're passing on to the next generation and to those around us. The first is this really interesting word, Lord. This word is a very significant word in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament. It's not just the word Lord that means someone that we owe fealty to, someone that's in charge of things, someone who owns the land, that kind of thing. It's not just the way we've kind of seen the word Lord used in like uh, the Middle Ages and things like that. This word Lord is the name that God gives God's self on the mountaintop when, when Moses meets the, with God in the burning bush. Moses walks up to this bush that's burning and finds out that he's on holy ground. And then the bush speaks to him. And Moses is like, well, who are you? And the bush says back, I am that I am. I am that I am. Basically, I am present. I am here. I am with you. The living presence, as one rabbi has translated it. 
One way that we've seen this translated is Yahweh. And I talked about this a few weeks ago, that Yahweh is a word, a name that the Jewish people, it's so holy and so reverent that they don't say it out loud. And part of the reason why you don't say it out loud is because it's not really a spoken name. It's meant to be breathed. Like you breathe in, it's meant to be breath because the living presence, the with us God is always present as close to us as our breath. That's how close the divine is to us. It's as close as our own breath. And so when God in the passage that we just read talks about who's speaking, you'll notice that the first thing that God says is the proclamation of the name, the Lord, the living presence, the with you one. I am that I am. Your own breath. That's who's speaking. Not some God up in the heavens that you have to do things for in order to appease. Not some vending machine that you hope you put the right amount of quarters in or a dollar bill or scan your credit card and you get the prayer request to come out and woohoo. That's not the God we're talking about. It's the with us God, the God who is present. And then that God is the one who says, Do you know who I am? I'm slow to anger. I'm merciful, gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. How do you explain withness? You explain it by saying gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, faithfulness. That's what it means for God to be with. But this verse ends, this passage ends with a kind of a tricky idea, right? That the sins are going to be passed on to the third and fourth generation. And if you're, if you're anything like me, that makes you a little uncomfortable. I don't like there being consequences when I'm trying to focus on love and grace and kindness and generosity. I don't like hearing about any consequences. That just makes me feel a little uncomfortable. And so I did a little diving into what's really going on in these words that are being used. What is this word iniquity? It's not one that I have studied before. And it's the Hebrew word avon or avone. And so that, that W in Hebrew is actually pronounced like a V in English, so it's avon. And so the idea of avon is to bend or to twist or to distort. So if you think about going on a path, like you're heading in a direction and you want to go from point A to point B, iniquity is when that path, you're bending and twisting and distorting the path that you're on. You're going in the wrong direction. You're heading off the path. It's not actually going where you want it to go. And in the life of the people, in the relationships that they have, one way of framing it is that it's a grave injustice being done, that iniquity is an injustice towards someone else. And if you think about a relationship, this relationship should be full of grace and kindness and love. And how do you distort that? You do an injustice. You harm the other person. You stab them in the back. You betray their trust. You, do, you, you gossip about them. Like whatever it is, you are distorting, you're bending, you're twisting away from the healthiness of this relationship. And it's an injustice to the relationship. It's an injustice to who we're supposed to be as a people. That's what the iniquity is. And just like we can all testify to, those bending and twisting and those distortions, those injustices, they can become part of who we are and we can pass them on 
from one generation to the next. Sometimes the way I hear my kids talk, it scares me because it sounds like me, but it's not the me that I want them to sound like. And I can see the bending and the twisting and the distorting, and it's, it's not great. It's not healthy. And it's like, oh. And here's the thing about those moments. Those moments when we recognize where we've had the bending, the twisting, the distorting, the injustice, we can either yell at it, which is sometimes what I like to do. Stop doing that. How dare you? I'm just being like you, dad. You know I want to be like you. I'm like, oh. or, Or I can take that as an opportunity to learn. I can see my child being a mirror for me. If I hear my friends talking in a way that sounds like me, but it's not a me that I want that to be, instead of judging it, shaming it, trying to root out the thing that I should be rooting out in myself and them, use that person as a mirror and say, how can I change the reflection of this mirror? Because I got to change me before I could ever think about having an effect on someone else. It's got to start within. So iniquity, avone, is this distortion. It's this bending. It's the twisting. It's the injustice. There's, the word sin is also mentioned in this passage. And, and here's, I just want to say a quick word about this idea of sin. I know sin is a touchy subject. I know that in too many Christian circles, it's been emphasized way too much. And it's been used as like a bludgering stick to just beat people over the head. Uh, and, and I grew up in an environment where it was used a lot. Um, not in like a parenting way, but just in like a, are you right with Jesus kind of way? Because we're sinful. And we would read very, very specific verses from Paul in the book of Romans to prove how sinful we were. And, and it was formative and it shaped me to the point where it was really nice for a while to be in environments where we never used that word and we never talked about it because it, it's like, kind of like, I, I kind of got a lifetime's worth already. I don't need to worry about it anymore. But the problem is that when we don't use that word or talk about iniquity or talk about the ways that we hurt people, talk about the ways that we've distorted things or bent things or twisted things, if we ignore the idea of sin and talk of, like we just pretend like it doesn't really exist, well, then we end up perpetuating it. Because the only way to overcome something is to be able to name the truth of it. So I think that, yes, in certain contexts, it's emphasized way too much and used very harmfully. But in other contexts, it's not used enough because we have to be honest about the ways in which we hurt one another, the ways in which we've distorted things, the ways in which we've caused injustice to happen. And that's sinful. And we need Christ's grace to bring us back, to move us onto the path of healthy relationship, move us in the trajectory of justice and grace. Which brings me to this beautiful word that we've touched on a couple of times called hesed. It's the word that is used when we see the idea of steadfast love. It's this idea of relational wholeness, that God is a God of steadfast love, of hesed, of relational wholeness. It's the ideal way in which human beings and God are meant to be in relationship to one another. It's this 
beautiful fullness of relationship, that we are in this together. We're moving together towards grace and towards love and towards joy and towards kindness, and that when things go wrong, we're honest, and when we get corrected, we're humble, and there's this movement towards something even greater than we can be on our own. It's relational wholeness on every single level. That's who God is, and that's what God is inviting us into. And that when we operate in that steadfast love, what God is trying to say to us is that that will be passed down to the thousandth generation. That when we practice wholeness, honesty, humility, joy, grace, forgiveness, justice, when we practice these things, when we move towards these things, when we get away from the distorting and the twisting and the bending and the injustices, when we move away from those, when we're honest about the way we've harmed each other, we move towards said, we can move towards it to the thousandth generation. So the question before us is a rather simple one. What type of generation are we passing on? Generations of Generations of avon, bending, twisting, distorting, injustice, where we've harmed one another, we've harmed our understanding of our relationship with God, we've harmed our care for the planet, we've harmed the way we understand ourselves, or are we going to pass on generations of hesed, where we can see the move towards relational wholeness, that honesty, that humility, that grace, that forgiveness, that we're meant to have, creating room for one another. What type of generation are we passing on? But here's the kicker that we can't forget, is that we're never meant to do any of it without God, the living presence, the very breath that we breathe, the divine within us. And so when we get caught in the binary of, am I avon? Am I hased? Oh, no, I'm avon. Okay, good, I'm hased. Oh, no, I'm avon. Oh, man, I should do hased. And we get caught in the, which generation am I passing on? And oh, my goodness, this is overwhelming. I'm getting, I feel judgmental and I feel like I'm full of shame and all. Okay, pause. God is with you. The living presence is as near to you as your breath. And if we were to go back to the passage and we were to look at it closely, the living presence, the living presence, the God who's as close as breath, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and keeping steadfast faithfulness for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity, not judging it, and transgression and sin. That this steadfast love, this with us God, the living presence, the God who is as close as our breath, is a God who forgives. Which then makes the question that Harry Chapman puts before us so important. Are we just going to wait for the then that we hope and wish happens? Or will we live in the now of steadfast love? 
Will we live in the now of God's forgiveness of all of our iniquities and our sins and our transgressions? Those ways in which we have veered off the path, we've bent and twisted and distorted things, the ways in which we've done injustices, whether we've been a part of systems of injustice or whether we've done them ourselves, are we going to trust that the living presence is able to forgive us so that we can choose said, so that we can choose to pass on love and grace to the next generation and model for them something beautiful. And it starts now, in every now. Not just back then, oh, I wish I would have done it differently when they were young, or I wish they, I would have done it this way. Or, you know, come Christmas, I'm going to, you know, the new year, I got some resolutions for you. I'm going to be a great parent in the new year. When this season of life and the busyness of it's over, then I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to be so good at parenting, or I'm going to be so good at being a friend, or I'm going to be so good at, at taking care of the poor, the marginalized. Then I'll do it. That, that when this season's over, when this, when this part of my life, when I have that degree, when I've, when I've accomplished this, when I have the money for it, or when I have the extra time, when I retire, or we can, we can come up with a thousand thens, or we could start right now. And when we mess it up, we'll start now. Because now is always present. Now is always possible. Now is always the opportunity. Then, then is where we get stuck. Because then is not real. Then doesn't exist. Only now. So, when you think about what you're passing on to the next generation, what world you're creating, what's that world for you right now. And how can we pass that on? Let's pray. God of abounding steadfast love, God of abounding grace, God of forgiveness, God of the now who is with us, God who's as close as the breath we breathe. Thank you for your presence. And may you fill us May you fill us with the realization that now is what we have. The now of relationship, the now of transformation, the now of justice, the now of grace, the now of asking forgiveness, the now of moving and being love. God of now, will you be with us? In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.